Hey folks, we have some exciting news to tell y'all about. The Bad Rolling Project has partnered with Expedition 44 and Rival Nations to start the one-of-a-kind No Key But Christ Network. This network will consist of content creators with the focus of Jesus is King and no other. For more information, visit nokeymutchristnetwork.com. Now back to the show. Welcome to the Bad Roman Podcast. On this show, we talk with veterans, community leaders, Christians, and non-Christians as we explore the entanglement of Christians with the state. The Bad Roman Project was created out of the firm belief that as Christians, we are called to follow Christ, not the state. Here is your host, Craig Hargis. Hey folks, today I'm joined by Caleb Kesterson. As you know, we invite listeners to contribute to our blog, and Caleb has written a couple of articles with the extremely popular Lord of the Rings series in mind, and we have received some great feedback from his articles. He's a self-described voluntarist and Anabaptist. We're going to go into to discuss these topics and his articles. Right. We'd rather serve God than Caleb, how are you doing today? Pretty good. Thanks for having me on. Yes, sir. I wanted to, I'm glad that you agreed to come on. And like I said, when we invite folks to contribute to the blog, we give them the option to come on and talk more about their articles. And I'm, I'm happy that you agreed to come on because that you're very, you're the first one we got a ton of feedback from. And we had some uh, people, Abby Kleckner, who write, writes for our blog, she was really interested and didn't know if you were going to do another one. And I asked you and you were happy to do another one. And so, I'm really happy. I'm really thankful that you contributed to this because, like I said, we had some great feedback and it made a lot of movement, like sharing in social media and stuff, just to watch people sharing it themselves. You know, I can follow the shares from Facebook and it got a lot of traffic and, I, and it was well, well received. And I really appreciate you taking the time to do that. So before we get started, I want you to give us a little background of yourself since you're this is the first time on the show. And I like to give everybody the opportunities. If you haven't been on the show before, I like to get the background so people can become more familiar with who Caleb is. Yeah. First, I just want to start out and say this is probably the only podcast I've heard of that has had both Scott Horton and Bruxy KV on it. <laughs> <laughs> really, it's I consider them both absolute heroes of mine. And it's it's cool to see them in the, you know those two worlds brought together like that. So I appreciate that you do that. Um I live in Michigan uh, with my wife and three-year-old son. We have another one on the way due later this year. I work in agriculture. I used to pastor in the Assemblies of God a few years ago, um, but I've since left that, and now I run a home church. It's very like Anabaptist-type feel to it. We It's centered around uh, community. We eat. We have discussions. We play games. It's just a very like uh, fellowship-oriented type thing. Some of my passions include politics, theology. I love history, reading, writing, fiction, anything like that. And and with these articles, that was really a way for me to bring all those things together. Well, you mentioned that with getting Bruxy and Scott Horton both on the show, not together, obviously, but <laughs> I love, I think that would be a cool conversation, though, to oh, get yeah. Bruxy Cavey and Scott Horton on the same podcast. Maybe I'll maybe reach out to them and get that going, because I don't know that Scott Horton is a, is a, is a Christian or not, but he, he understands and, and talking to him, he understands enough about the New Testament to know that how Christians are behaving today is not how Jesus, 
expected Christians to behave, especially when it comes to like war. And that's why I wanted to have him on because he was, he's, he's got a knowledge of American foreign policy like nobody I've ever heard. It's incredible to me to listen to. And I love his show and I, I just eat it up. And Bruxy Cavey is a little more laid back. He it was funny because he talking to him, he's, uh, I, I almost had to kind of lead him some in the, in the conversation. And with Scott Horton, I could just let him have it, you know. And you, and if you if you're familiar with Scott Horton, you know he can just run with things. And it was great because that makes my job a whole lot easier when I can when the guests will just talk, <laughs> and I can just sit here and eat it all up. But I've been in conversation with Bruxy here the past couple of weeks about getting him on again to talk about the Anabaptist because the Anabaptist uh, field. Now I'm familiar with voluntarism, obviously. But the Anabaptist side of it has been very intriguing to me. And I want to talk to you a little bit about that before we get into your articles, because what I've what I've noticed in my study of the early church and how the Anabaptists react to the state and how they are more Jesus centric than what you're going to see in your mainstream churches seems to align perfectly with how the early church reacted and how the early church acted. And so I think there's a lot going on there. I don't, I'm not familiar enough about the Anabaptist history to know how they started, when they started. That's one. And maybe you can help me out with that. I'm going to, I'm going to talk to Bruxy about that as well, but I'm really curious about how that happened. You said you started off in assembly as a God and now you're an Anabaptist, which is interesting to me because that's, that's on like two different spectrums, like, like two different sides. Cause I've been to an assembly of God's church. I've been to, which to me was a little more conservative compared to like, uh, and I've been to a United Pentecostal church. That was nuts to me, man. I couldn't, I couldn't believe it was going on. The Assembly of God, I didn't see a whole lot of that going on, but like Assembly of God's to Anabaptists. How did you get to that? See, I, growing up, I never really learned about the peace aspect of the gospel from church, right? So, I mean, most of the wars, the people were usually conservative and they were all in support of the different wars and whatnot. So I first, came into the anti-war movement through libertarianism, through voluntarism. I learned about the non-aggression principle and all of that. Um, and then when I left the Assemblies of God, I was really just searching. And Bruxy was one of those key people I came across. And the thing that really struck me about them, as opposed to other movements, was their um, commitment to not necessarily like complete nonviolence, but they're very um, committed to anti-war and separating themselves from the state and things like that. So really it was good. It's like, I kind of found a home where I could match up what I believed was the worst thing about government. And I finally found a group of Christians that would agree with me on that. I think that's, what's interesting to me about the Anabaptists and why I'm so intrigued by them is because I spent a lot of time in Southern Baptist churches. And, and just like you just said, it, there was always a support of the war there, you know, and I've told this story several times on our show and, and on other shows, but there was a time I was sitting in a Southern Baptist church and they would have the United States flag on the, on the stage. And they, one time they had um, soldiers uh, or servicemen and women stand up so we could applaud them and thank them for their service. And then immediately after that, we all stood up and pledged allegiance to the flag. <laughs> <laughs> I know now it's, now it's no, but at the time I was, I was very, I was like, I didn't, it didn't really dawn on me that this is not what we're supposed to be doing. It was just, you know, we call ourselves a Christian nation, which we're not, if you really look at it seriously. But so I was like, well, maybe we should be supporting the troops. And, and I'm not saying I don't support the troops. Like I don't want to help them. You know what I'm saying? Like I, I want them home. That's how much I support them. 
help them by ending the wars. Yeah. Right. So, so it didn't really dawn on me that it was, that was a bad thing. And looking back, it's pretty gross. It's pretty gross how, uh, a lot of American churches are so ingrained with the state that they look at like the Pledge of Allegiance as a thing that we should be doing. I can't I can't think of a, a Southern Baptist church that I did attend that did not have a United States flag on the stage. Now that I think about it, I mean, but it was but it never dawned on me. It was just, yeah, we're supposed to be doing that, you know, and uh, talking to uh Brian Zahn when we did the episode with the uh Postcards from Babylon documentary, um David Peters, the producer of that documentary, he said that the, he, the church he was attending, he, he there was a flag, the United States flag and the Christian flag right below it. And he switched them and it caused all kinds of uproar. But that's what's so intriguing to me about the Anabaptists is because they they do have that sense that we're supposed to be separate from that stuff. And I love the Jesus-centric uh, ideals behind the Anabaptists. And you can really see that with the early church. It was all about Jesus. It wasn't about a lot of other thing, other stuff. It was just what... Jesus said, and I love that about the Anabaptists, and that's why I want to learn more about them. You said something about you you, you have a home church. I love that idea, too, because that's how the early church did it. You know, they met in homes. There wasn't a building that they went to, which I'm not saying, okay, don't go to church. I'm not. That's not what I'm saying at all, but I think it's really cool. Like, the home church idea is really cool to me, too, because I'd like to do that. I'd like to have some folks over and we just sit around, eat, play games, and talk about Jesus and talk about how we can help the people in our community you know, like they, like Jesus instructed, <laughs> help, love your neighbor, you know, and I think that the Anabaptists have it down. They've got that down. Y'all have got that down. I keep saying they, but y'all have got that down. And I think it's great. Is there anything about the Anabaptist side that you are kind of mad about? Like you're not, you're not really sure about, or are you, are you, are you full on board with it? I never really wanted to like label myself. Um, I kind of wanted to just be whatever I was, but I did decide to take on that Anabaptist label. I guess the thing that I would say I struggle with is most people just associate it with, you know, like Mennonite, different things like that. And Bruxy gets at this quite a bit. They were so persecuted that they came to the new world and they created these isolated communities. I would like to see an Anabaptism that goes out and meets people where they are and exists within the world, so to speak. Is that, is that what you're trying to do with your home church? Uh, kind of, yeah. I mean, our home church is not a huge thing. It's, you know, a dozen people. Um, but for me, mostly that was, I didn't feel like I, I have a good fit where I'm at. I, I did the whole organized church thing for a long time. And this was just a way for me to, uh, me and another buddy who was a missionary for a while, um, we started this. And it's just a way that we're still able to get out there and teach. We're still able to participate in discipleship and there's not a lot of the pressures of like being part of like a a, a bigger church so and i i don't I, I have a question so do y'all do y'all like to take an offering because and the reason i ask are you familiar with like keith giles yeah okay so when i first came in contact with him i read that book jesus untangled the coolest part about that was reading about keith giles is he started a home church and 100 percent of any offering was brought in they gave it to those in need I was like, well, that's cool. That's what we're supposed to be doing. We're not supposed to be, you know, sending kids to church camp and, you know, buying a huge PA system, which, again, I'm not trying to just denounce any of that to anybody. Do do you. But to me, giving that money that's given to the church, to those in need, is what the church is supposed to be doing. And, and if you look at the early church, they spent their time working on the fringes of society. 
Now, I don't know if uh, like the Mennonites you were talking about or the Amish are working on the fringes of society or if they're just their own little society. You know what I'm saying? So, I mean, I don't know. So I like the idea. I like what you're doing. I think that's I think it's great. We need more of that. Tell me how you found the Bad Roman. I think I saw I think I saw Bruxy uh, tweet that he had been on here as a guest and I try to I soak up everything he puts out there. So I listened. I'm like, ah, these guys are <laughs> these guys are everything that I am. You know, they're, they're all about liberty, voluntary human interaction, peace, Christianity. You don't always see all those things brought together in, in one place. No, you don't. <laughs> and that's pretty much what started the project. I mean, it's, we're trying to get that out there. You know, there's other uh, Christian anarchist podcasts out there as well that are trying to do the same thing. And I, I, I think that the Bad Rome has, has really resonated with a lot of folks. And that's one thing. And I don't recommend go listen to the trailer to this podcast because it was awful. I sounded like a horrible mouth breather. And I was still trying to get comfortable with the microphone. I didn't know what I was doing. And <laughs> uh but I did mention in there that we're trying to give a a spot for folks that are having the same ideals, a place to go, to be a resource for these folks. Because if we can get that message out to one person, then they can spread it to somebody else. And we've got a lot of that coming back, feedback coming from folks that they're sharing our podcast or our blog articles with folks in their community. And it's getting a good response. You know, it's it's kind of taken off and, and a lot quicker than I thought. And nobody is more surprised than me. <laughs> and I promise you that nobody's coming here to listen to me because <laughs> I can bumble through this. But the gist, you know, the, the different perspectives we get on the show, I think, is what people want to hear because it gives somebody a different idea of what's going on out there that they're not hearing from the mainstream. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I think you guys are doing a great job. I, I love your website. It's got a really good look to it. Um, and it's it's really providing that that third way that the Anabaptists sometimes talk about um, the right and the left so politically divided. This is like a place where we can say, no, this is you know this is what the way of Jesus looks like. It's peace. It's love. It's all these things, and it's not politics. Before we got started with the project and didn't know what direction we were going, I, I spent a lot of time noticing that I was very frustrated with the Christian right and that because that's where I came from and the more I learned about voluntarism or anarchism the more I understood how it aligned perfectly with my faith and it was a done deal but then I was like all right this is what we're going to do we're going to we're going to talk about Christian anarchy and you know anarcho-christian kind of that's how I got you know involved with listening to anarcho-christian and then learning more about it and I, I've got a lot of things to say <laughs> And people get sick of my social media posts so I can get behind a mic, holler at people for a little while, and they can choose to listen or not. Now, I've lost some friends over it, but it's that's cool. I mean, it is what it is. I can't, uh, I can't deny or ignore what I've learned. And I would hope that uh, anybody listening that is not a fan of me would appreciate the fact that I can, I'm just going to tell you the truth. From what I from what I see, and I think that's the way we're supposed to go. You got to kind of be humble, but you got to kind of punch people in the mouth with the truth too. Otherwise, they're not going to listen. You can you can punch people in the mouth lovingly, right? Is that a thing with words? It is now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it is now. Okay, we're going to start punching people in the mouth lovingly. Yeah, so I'm with you. Um, I largely come from the Christian right. I mean, like my parents aren't bad or anything. They're they're not as militant as a lot of the people that we were around when I grew up and stuff, but yeah, I mean, what we saw with the evangelical, right. That was pretty crazy. Um, I'm also pretty worried about 
the left too, though, the Christian left, they are more than willing to use the sword too. They just have less American flags. That's the only difference. (laughs) (laughs) This is the truth. Now I'm not, I I know I have some uh, left leaning Christian friends, but I'm not as, I I don't know enough about them to pick on them. Like I do the right. Like I, I can pick on the right because that's where I came from. But, the left, to me, is very honest about their tyranny. The right is very secretive about it. They're doing the same thing. They're just going about it in a different way. Like the left is going to tell you we're going to do this and you're going to like it or we're going to lock you in a cage. The right's like, we're going to talk about it behind closed doors and you're not going to know we're going to do it to you until it happens to you. Yeah, they talk the big liberty game and then at the end of the day, they spend as much, they do it. You know, to me, it doesn't matter who ends up being in charge. The same issues arise, at least, I guess, now with someone on the left being in power. Like, it's a chance for some of those people to come back and to embrace the ideas of liberty again. Although (laughs) it's pretty crazy out there right now. I mean, the amount of people who in my own community, people on the right who I wanted to completely get rid of the Constitution and install Trump as a dictator. It kind of blew me away, to be honest with you. Like, it's the group that has always been about the Constitution, but as soon as they had their guy, it's just out the window. Oh, yeah. Listen, I spent the last four years pointing the hypocrisy out of the right. And when Biden got elected, I was like, man, I have I have missed picking on the left. I have missed it because I spent, you know, the first 16 years of my statism when I was an active voter picking on the left and, and pushing the right agenda, pushing the right agenda. But I haven't had that opportunity. Like when Obama got elected, I kind of just went about my, my life. You know, you saw when Obama got elected, the, there was a, a sense of like they were worshiping the guy like he was the next coming. And I, and I say this all the time. But when Trump was elected and how his, how his supporters, they, they, they took it to a whole new level. And you saw it whenever he lost the election to Biden. And I'm sure it was, it was probably rigged. They're always rigged. I mean, it's a fraudulent system. I mean, it, 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 people were surprised by it was was funny to me. But the the fact that they got so upset when Biden, like the thing with the uh, at the Capitol when they stormed the Capitol, I don't know. I, it, it didn't. I just kind of just. I woke up. There were some messages from some friends about it. I turned on social media. I turned on, and I don't watch mainstream media, but I did turn it on to kind of see what was going on. I watched it for about five minutes, and I rolled over and went back to sleep. Because it didn't surprise me. We've seen it coming for four years. I mean, politically, that was like the worst thing they could have possibly done. They just gave the left ammunition to go after them for years to come. I mean, even with that domestic terrorist label and everything. And to me, it was clear they weren't trying to overthrow the government. I mean, if you know, you have these right wingers and they didn't even have their guns with them, if they're going to overthrow something, they'll have guns with them. No, they were trying to keep their guy in office. That's all. They were trying to protect, keep their master in charge. That's all they were trying to do. That's all it was. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think it got out of hand. I was was a little surprised that they did take it that far. But, like, I think it's quite a bit overblown at the same time, too. But, yeah, I mean, they sacrificed their values for for Trump. And then later that day, he just sold them, sold them out. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like, he doesn't care about them. And that they think he does is, I mean, it's sad. I mean, to me, it's like watching the empire fall. I don't, and I just don't care. I've gotten to the point now. We're talking, talking about uh, Biden. It's funny to, because when he got elected, 
And the reason he got elected, the left, even the left hated Biden, but they voted for him because they hated Trump more. He's doing the exact same thing that Trump was doing. I mean, almost immediately he's bombing Syria. And then and the, the stuff going on at the border, they're still locking these people up in cages, man. Nothing's changing. This is not, this is, it, it's it's asinine that people get so locked into these people. And I've gotten to point out, I just don't care. I move about this world like nothing else is going on. I go to work, pay my bills, eat my food, hang out with my cats. That's what I do. All that other stuff is just garbage to me. I don't even care who's the president. I, had, I didn't watch any of the debates this last time around. I didn't watch any when Trump and Hillary were debating. I didn't care. That's I'd gotten so far away from it now. I'm so far away from it now that I just... It's a it's a it's a thing. It's not my thing. Yeah, I think that's a good place to be. I still get really worked up about the war issue, though. Well, you have to. You have to. So like with Yemen, for example, and I know you talked to Scott Horton about it quite a bit. Um, man, politically, that is the easiest war for Biden to end. And he said he's ending it. He said he's pulling support for the Saudis. But there's still a blockade on the Yemeni people. They're still starving to death. We're still assisting and selling weapons to Saudi Arabia. I mean, he said he stopped it, but it's still going on. And like I said, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter who's there. They're still gonna they're still gonna fight the same wars. And well, it was fun. What I say fun? It's I, I find it fun sometimes to pick on these people, the status because when he said that he was going to end that, I I made a post on Facebook. I said, Great, now do Syria, Iraq, Afghanistan, and just go down the list. Let's end them all. <laughs> yeah. And then, then he bombs Syria. You know, then you can talk to the left. Like, hang on a second. He's not ending anything. He's continuing things. And it's going to be, uh, it's going to continue until people wake up and realize that these folks are warmongers. They're mass murderers. They're thieves and liars. Why, as a Christian, would you vote for them on the left or right? Why? And it seems to me it's kind of the uh, Lysander Spooner defensive voting argument on both sides. Like, they're more concerned about the other side than they are about who they're actually voting for and what their person believes, as long as they got someone defending them. I can't tell you how many anarchists I've argued with about the defensive voting <laughs> thing. I mean, I like, I like everything Lysander Spooner says, except for that. I just don't, I don't get into the, I, I just don't think it's, I don't think it's, it's uh, something that's going to work defensive voting. But it doesn't seem to work. I'd say it's maybe the best argument for voting, but it's still no, it's still, not a good enough reason for me. And especially when you're talking about Christian anarchists like us, it's, it's not a reason to override what we feel about uh, pacifism and non-aggression and things like that. It's, you know, to me, I mean, I think it's an okay argument, but at the end of the day, I just, I've gave up completely on voting. I understand it. Yeah. I understand the argument. The problem is, is it, it's, it doesn't work. Defensive voting, you're still, you're still voting for the state. You're still voting for somebody to rule over your neighbor. And I'm a Christian far before I'm an anarchist. And as a Christian, that doesn't make any sense. Why are you voting to put somebody in power over somebody that you don't agree with? They don't agree with you. That's you're, that's not loving your neighbor. And I think it's it's fear is what it is. There's fear of what their neighbor will do to them. And it's never ending. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Voting is fear based. It's fear driven. And, and I think that is the worst type, worst type of voting that you can have is fear voting. You're voting out of fear. You're not voting on principle. You you can look at Biden and Trump and everybody that went to the polls and voted for these guys. I promise you, you didn't vote on principle. 
if you were voting on principle, you'd find somebody that had an idea or an understanding of the United States Constitution. At least, at least do that. But they won't do it because they're afraid of the other guy. And I did it, man. I did it for years. I did it once. Um, I'm a little bit younger, though. I, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll say it, but I voted for Mitt Romney in 2012. I did, too. And, and what I like to say is I thank God every day that he didn't win because I would have had so much blood on my hands. And I don't know if I could have taken that. <laughs> I mean, because because he would have been just like everyone else, you know? Yeah. I mean, and that's another thing we talk about, too. If you if you don't realize that when you're voting for these folks that you are kind of complicit in what their and what their actions are, you know how they're going to behave. We already know that they have a proven track record of how they're going to behave once they're in office. We already know that, you know, that ahead of time and you still vote for them. So you're complicit in the genocide that's going on in Yemen. You know, Obama started that Trump committed genocide every day of his presidency. Tell that to a Trump supporter and they'll look at you cross-eyed. Fox News isn't telling them about it. It's just tough for me because it's like there's so many places I know you can find out about it. And it's like it's just an excuse to, you know, when you don't know about it. And, you know, neither side wants to hear about it because it's the worst thing about their person. No, oh, it's out there. I mean, that's I, and I try to tell people I don't listen to uh, corporate media anymore. I get all my news from podcasts. And that's how I learned about Yemen. I didn't know anything about Yemen until I started listening to Scott Horton. Uh, free man beyond the wall and stuff like that. That's how I heard about Yemen, not from Fox News or CNN. They're not talking about it. They're going to talk about how bad the other team is. Yeah. So last thing, I think every day, the first place I go to when I get online is antiwar.com. Even if you don't read any of the articles, just read the headlines and you'll be w- just way more caught up than anybody you know on foreign policy. Oh, Yeah. Yeah. So at work, and I t- tell this story all the time too, but at work, we have two TVs. We got Fox News and we have ESPN. People are glued to Fox News. And I'll start talking about things like Yemen or, uh, oh, somebody told me the other day, man, that Texas governor, you, y'all got it right down there in Texas. He's sending the National Guard to the border. And I didn't engage him. Man, I, I, I was chewing my tongue in two not to engage this guy on break. I was like, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. I was like, all right. And I just went back to eating my snack <laughs> and playing on my phone because I was not going to do it because I, I'm not as a Christian. I cannot support locking people in cages for crossing a government border. I'm not I can't support it as a Christian. It, and there's a lot of Christians that support it. I've heard Christians say that they would be willing to go down there and set up and shoot them crossing the border. Yeah, that's what Jesus would do. I will say in the last few years, I've really calmed down about getting in the arguments on online and in person and stuff. I'm just kind of like. Uh, whatever, government's stupid. <laughs> I don't really feel the need to explain it as much anymore. I don't really have the energy. Well, you're doing better than me. I think I've gotten better, though, to a point. Now, what I tend to do with, with my Facebook posts is I'll try to, I'll, I tend to bait them. Yeah. Because I don't go on their posts. I don't go on their, on their, I, very seldom. Now, if they say something just so stupid, I was like, I can't not say anything. So I have to say something and then I'll leave it at that. But with my posts, normally I'm just baiting these, these conversations. Because I'm not really trying to change their mind. What I'm trying to do is get people that are, are curious about what we're talking about that are reading the comments and they're wanting to know more about what we're talking about. Those are the folks I'm trying to reach because the person that I'm baiting, man, they're not interested in, in, in changing their mind. They're, they're not. They're, they're so dug in to a point that you can't, this, you just got to let them have it. Like the, like the whole Q and stuff, the insanity of that stuff was just after. 
and we're getting off way off of what I want to talk about, but I like, I love this conversation because I, there was a couple, I had, I, actually I had one person unfriend me on Facebook because I've commented like, I'm really concerned about you. And I was being genuine. Like I'm not trying to be a jerk, but I said, man, I'm really concerned with these QAnon folks because I'm worried about their mental health. I mean, they were buying this garbage. Yeah. I mean, they're just being, they're just being lied to. Um, and they'll have to see it eventually. I mean, nothing they've said has come true. So, but to what, to what you were saying, it's like, you're, you're totally right. I mean, I have a couple of buddies who are good anarchists too. And, uh, we've had countless people come up to us and say like, we read all your stuff. Like we're always interested in what you're saying. And, and it's true. It's like the person I'm argue, arguing with is never going to change their mind, but the people on the outside who are interested in, who are too afraid to say something, they'll really get stuff from what you're saying. So I think that's exactly right. I got a funny story. I want to, I want to tell you, and then we're going to get into your articles. So a friend of mine, we would he we spent like three hours on the phone, and he was just couldn't cannot get on board with the Christian anarchy side of it, and he's convinced that I'm I'm part of some kind of cult, and I'm like, <laughs> dude, I'm just following Jesus. Jesus, I mean, we're Christians, right? And that we're supposed to be doing. I mean, that's what I'm doing. But he's convinced that we're we're in some sort of cult, and you know, and he goes, I'm going to send you a book. I want you to read it. And I was like, all right, I'll check it out. You know what he sent me? Uh, probably like. Some Hannity book or something? No, it was a Bible. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> he sent me a Bible. And I appreciate the Bible. I've read it. I mean, I'm familiar with it. That's kind of where I'm at right now. I mean, this is how I got to where I'm at now because I've read the Bible. <laughs> but he, he's convinced that I'm not reading the Bible. And I can quote scripture to him. Right. And it doesn't it doesn't register. And that's the big thing. Um, there's so many ways to read the Bible. And this will kind of get to a little bit of Anabaptist stuff. Um, a lot of people start, you know, with Genesis, start with the Old Testament. The thing I love about the Anabaptists is they start with Jesus. They start with the Sermon on the Mount and they interpret scripture working backwards from there. So, yeah, he could read the Bible and come away with a God that lo- is wrathful and loves vengeance and war and all these different things. Whereas an Anabaptist, we can read it and be like, no, Jesus shows us exactly what God is like. And what he's always been like. He said it. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. Exactly. And so (laughs) it's like we can read that same book and still have vast disagreements. But yeah, like I said, that's what drew me to the Anabaptists. It's like you start with Jesus. Jesus is the center. He's the key to interpreting it. And it really gets rid of some of those a little bit tougher pictures of God that are harder to uh, explain. Well, it's very eye-opening when you when you realize how many different denominations are out there. And I made a post about this yesterday. There's 30,000 Christian denominations, and yours is the right one. It was just a question, and it started a whole thread. And my whole point behind the post was, we need to get back to what Jesus said. Let's start there. All that other stuff is just stuff to me. Like you said, you're into theology. All that stuff goes over my head, and I don't engage the conversations that often because I don't know. I think it's a, a it can be a fun debate, but it's, it's I'm not smart enough to follow along with it. I don't know enough about it, so I don't engage it. But I don't. This guy said, I, I said, Jesus came not to cause division. And you got 30,000 denominations. There's some division there in the church. And so I think we just, it's very simple to me. We just go back to what Jesus said. Yeah, I'm with you. <laughs> <laughs> hey, folks, Greg here. And I'd like to let y'all know we are always looking for writers to contribute to our blog. 
I don't care if you have any experience or not. Two or three of our contributors had no prior experience writing, and it turns out they have a real knack for it. Our project coordinator helps them put the articles together, and she publishes them on our website and Facebook page, and you will also have the option to come on the show and go more in-depth about your article. So if you like what we're doing at The Bad Roman and would like to try your hand at writing, then send us an email at thebadromanpodcast at gmail.com. We're having a blast with this project, and we would love for you to join us in helping promote it. Now back to the show. All right, let's get into your article. All right. Or both your articles. So I've got it pulled up, the first one on my tablet. And like I said, I am told you before we started recording, I'm going to be the annoying friend asking you questions while watching a movie because I have not watched The Lord of the Rings, any of them. And when and I told you, I so said when I mentioned that to folks that are big Lord of the Ring fans, they tilt their head at me like I'm some an, an alien or something. Like I'm just new to this earth. Like it's so I love the articles that really they're really interesting to me. And I, and I like how you were able to compare Lord of the Rings and how they're how an anarchist society might look. So when I ask you about a character, I may ask you, well, who's this guy? Tell me a little bit about him. And you're obviously schooled in Lord of the Rings or you wouldn't have wrote these articles. <laughs> yeah. Well, first of all, I want to, I don't want to pretend like I'm like some Tolkien expert or anything like that. Uh, I'm just a fan and I've read all the books and uh, I found a way to bring that together with the things I'm passionate about. Okay. Well, let's start with the first one. And the title of this, the first article was Tolkien and the Night Watchman State is the title of the article. And you started off with, uh, Night Watchman State can arguably be seen through the characters known as the Rangers of the North and their defense of the Shire. Tell me about the Rangers of the North. <laughs> sure. They're remnants of this kingdom that has been destroyed, and uh, there's not many of them left. Uh, they're, the, they're the kings of old. Aragorn, you may have heard of him. He's one of the main characters. He's the leader, and they kind of just hang around the perimeter of the Shire and other lands that used to be theirs. And they protect them from whatever dangers are out there, whether it's evil people or wolves or whatever it might be. But they're they're looked down upon in society. Like the people who encounter them think they're vagabonds, uh, beggars, people who are up to no good. But really, they're doing this very noble thing, protecting these people, and they don't even know it. Are you saying that the folks that live on this land don't know that they're out there? Right. They They know that. There are some rangers out there. They think they're just like gypsy type people and they don't like them. They don't know that they're actually being protected by them. Tolkien's rangers are essentially unknown to the people of the Shire. Yet without them, it is unlikely that the diminutive hobbits would be able to keep the evil outside their borders at bay. Explain how that would how that equates to a voluntary society, because it sounds just like on its face. It sounds like there's a, a standing army. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So for sure, it's 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 at the very least minarchism, which means a, the, a minimal state. But I think I think it might be more than that if we really look at it. The Shire is a completely voluntary society, as we'll probably get into. But the Rangers at this point are voluntary. They choose to follow Aragorn as their leader, and they choose to defend the borders of this land. They don't institute any laws over the people they protect. They don't collect taxes. They don't do anything like that. So 
I believe they're voluntarily choosing to protect these people. Okay. So it's not like a, uh, what's the word? Conscription. Is that the word I'm looking for? It's not like that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's possible that these Rangers have like sworn an oath of loyalty to their leader and something like that. So it, it is possible, but um, as far as their protection of the Shire, it's, I don't know. I, I think it could be a minarchism, but I don't know. It's tough. It's a tough call on that. I don't know. Well, tell me about the Shire then. Kind of backtrack a little bit. Tell me about the Shire. Cause you said that's what a, that's a voluntary society, right? Explain that to me. Explain to me how, what they're doing is voluntary. There's almost no positions of government within their society. They have a mayor who they vote for every few years. And mostly his job is to just like preside over feasts and different things like that. It's very ceremonial position. Um, the only other thing that would resemble a government is this group known as the sheriffs, kind of like a sheriff. And their job is to um, just kind of patrol the Shire and make sure uh, nobody's causing any trouble. Mostly, mostly outsiders causing any trouble. Like say if there was like wolves that crossed the river and tried to get in, it'd be their job to uh, protect the people from them. But that's also a completely voluntary group. And other than that, it's just these people who are going about their lives. It's very family based in the Shire. Your your position and your rank is really based on what kind of family you come from. So there is like a hierarchy in that sense, but no government to speak of. Okay. I like it. I like it. I think we need one of those around here. <laughs> I don't know. I've got a friend that I guess the, the, the uh, is his name Frodo? Yeah. Okay. So I got a, a friend that he, I call him Frodo because he's short and muscular and stuff, and I <laughs> he doesn't like the nickname, but I got it because I don't I can't remember what movie it was. It was Adam Sandler? Uh, he got pulled over. He was he'd been drinking. And he got pulled over, and the cop pulled him over. And he's the longest yard. Yeah, he's like, <laughs> he goes, "Do you catch XM radio with those ears?" And he called him Frodo or something. So ever since then, I started calling my buddy Frodo. <laughs> and I had no idea it came from the movie either. Oh, and like we were talking about earlier, I don't care if you ever watch the movies. I think they're good, but definitely read the books if you ever get a chance. That's where the good stuff is. Well, the books are always better than the movies. For the most part. Every book that I've read that was turned into a movie, it seems like the movie missed a whole lot from what I understood in the book. So are you seeing that with these movies, that they're they're leaving out some stuff? or? Yeah, um, I think... The Lord of the Rings movies are just, they're beautiful. Um, the scenery is amazing. The music's amazing. I think they focus really heavy on the battles and the action. And that's cool. And I think it makes for a good movie. Uh, but that's not really what Tolkien did. Like, there's this battle that's probably like 10 minutes of screen time. And it gets like a paragraph in the Lord of the Rings book. All right. So the second article is called Tolkien and Power. And... What stood out to me the most about this article is that power corrupts good intentions. And I, I think that a lot of folks who seek political power have good intentions in mind. But once they get that power, it tends to it tends to corrupt them. And I think and what's this guy's name? Um, Gandalf. He said, with that power, I should have power too great and terrible. And over me, the ring would gain a power still greater and more deadly. His eyes flashed and his face was lit as by a fire within. Do not tempt me. 
for I do not wish to become like the dark Lord himself. Yet the way of the ring to my heart is my pity, pity for my weakness and the desire of strength to do good. Do not tempt me. I dare not take it, not even keep it safe, unused. The wish to wield it would be too great for my strength. I shall have such need of it. Great perils lie before me. I mean, dude, that just pretty much describes the United States government and these people get power. He understood it. We need we need Gandalf running for office, you know, like he but he doesn't want that power. Yeah. I mean, what it really gets at is um, he has the best of intentions, like his whole life is dedicated to helping rid Middle Earth of evil. And he knows how much the ring could help him but he knows what it would turn him into at the end of the day. He would be the new Dark Lord. It's this pitfall of power um, where you start out with good intentions and then before you know it, you turn into the very thing you're trying to defeat. There is a part in here in this article too, I'm still finding it. And you, you mentioned how uh, you found it. It's kind of funny to look at how when Jesus, they were trying to make him king and he he ran away from him. Yeah, what a it, it's in John six, um, kind of a weird verse to be honest with you. Um, he didn't want to become king, as far as like being king that like uses power over people. Um, it wasn't his time. Obviously, we consider Jesus to be Lord, and but we realize that he his kingdom operates in a little bit different way. Well, so I, I just found it. I said, you said the first is John six fifteen, where Jesus has to flee because the people want to make him king by force. Yeah, which is quite comical, given he resists the temptation to rule over us with force because he was seeking to set up an entirely different kind of kingdom. Yeah, and the other verse is Matthew twenty twenty five through eight, when the mother of James and John asked Jesus if they can set on his right and left in his new kingdom. Jesus responds by explaining what his new kingdom looks like. He tells them it's not serving, not lording over like the other earthly rulers do and shows them instead that self-sacrificial love is the ultimate demonstration of the kingdom of God. Yeah. Or as Tolkien might say, you can't fight the enemy with his own ring without turning into an enemy. But unfortunately, Gandalf's wisdom seems to long ago to have passed him into the true West. Yeah. So one thing um, where it says he tells them it's not serving, that should say it's about serving. So Jesus kingdom is about serving those in need. It's not about lording over. Um, and Tolkien does a great job of demonstrating self-sacrificial love um, the way that Jesus does. And I, I think he really gets it. What's that quote that I, I think it was in your first article. Maybe it was in this one when Tolkien was talking about, he leans more and more to an anarchist in his political views. Was he writing? He was writing a, a letter to his son. Yeah, his son was his son was uh, stationed in South Africa um, during World War II, and he would write letters to him like weekly. And he's just talking kind of about the state of the world. Let me pull it up here, actually. Well, see, the the reason I asked about it because I remember reading that, not knowing who Tolkien was. See, that's how ignorant I am to the Lord of the Rings. I didn't know who Tolkien was until I saw this quote, and I didn't realize that he was the writer of these books either. So I, I didn't realize who he was until I kind of researched him a little bit more. And I, and I hear a lot of Christian anarchists talking about Tolkien and talking about the Lord of the Rings, and I'm like, who are these people? Who are the? What is this movie? Who is Tolkien? But I read that 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 quote by him. And I was like, that's that's perfect. Yeah, 
I have it right here if you want me to read it. Yeah. It says, my political opinions lean more and more to anarchy, philosophically understood, meaning the abolition of control, not whiskered men with bombs. The most improper job of any man, even saints, who at any rate were at least unwilling to take it on, is bossing other men. Not one in a million is fit for it, and least of all those who seek the opportunity. I love it. I love that. I mean, it's that's uh, that's it. I remember sharing that. I'm sharing that quote on Facebook, and my mom is kind of creeping her way into anarchism, which is kind of fun to watch, you know, because like we grew up, like I said, I grew up in West Texas, and so it was deep red and. We always voted Republican and stuff. And then in 2016, she kind of broke away from it and voted for Gary Johnson for the Libertarian uh, ticket. And I was proud of her. You know, I mean, I was still voting at the time. I, I wasn't going to vote for Gary Johnson. I voted for the uh, Daryl Castle, but I was proud to see it. But I remember sharing that quote by Token and she heart reacted it. I was like, ah. and I tell her all I tell her all the time. I said, you're an anarchist. You just don't know it yet. There's just things about the idea of it that, not everybody can get on board with because they have questions and that's what we're here for trying to answer those questions. So you, you ended this article and you said, I want to leave you with one final verse from first Corinthians one twenty-seven, And I want you to keep in mind the brave hobbits of the fellowship of the ring. When you read it instead, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. Yeah. So, I mean, I can just totally picture Frodo and Sam, these little hobbits going into Mordor underneath the nose of the enemy and destroying his ring. And if 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 you go through my article, you'll see that Sauron, he's he's the bad guy. The last thing he suspects is that they'll try to destroy his ring. He thinks that they'll try to use it against him because that's what he would do. He would fight force with force. Right. And that's and that's the most natural thing for us to do when instead their goal is to go and destroy it, um, which gets at that self-sacrificial love aspect of things. So it's this idea that these tiny, tiny people are the ones who are able to take down this, you know, the strongest evil in the world. And that's how God operates. He uses the foolish things, the small things to um, confuse and confound and and take down the powerful. That's perfect. That's awesome, man. I got one more question before I let you go, though. So in the about the author section under under your articles, you have a, there's a quote. It says, may have been the losing side, still not convinced it was the wrong one. Where did that come from? Is that yours or? It's not mine. Oh, I've adopted it. I keep it alive. Have you ever heard of the show called Firefly? Yes. It's a Joss Whedon show. It only ran one season before Fox canceled it kind of like a a cult favorite the captain of the ship he's got you know he's got some libertarian leanings he just wants to be left alone and to run his life and he had fought in this rebellion against the government and they had ended up losing and so he's been carrying that around and people you know bring up to him from time to time well you were on the losing side he's basically like well i may have been on the losing side but i don't think it was the wrong one and you know i think as libertarians, as anarchists, whatever you want to say, even as Christians, um, we're going to lose the fights when it comes to real force, right? We don't, we don't have the numbers. We're not, you know, in our case, we're not willing to fight that fight, but losing those battles doesn't mean we're wrong. You know, it it stands standing on our principles is the most important thing there. That's awesome. 
I love it. I love it. So is there anything you're doing other than writing for the bad Roman? Is there that you want to plug here before I let you go? You can follow me on Twitter at Caleb MK five. I just tweet whatever I'm thinking. I go after the right and the left, just the same. Um, Talk a lot about war, talk a little bit about Christianity, sports, different things like that. I will say I do plan on writing some articles in the near future about Anabaptism uh, for you guys. Uh, one of them is going to be titled Anabaptists in the Early Church, and it's going to be highlighting comparisons between um, essentially how both were willing to die for their faith and not use force to fight back against their oppressors. But the real the twist in this one is that the early church, it was the Romans who were killing them, the pagans. But for the Anabaptists, it was Catholics and Protestants who were killing them. I'm really interested in this, and, I, and I, you told me that in in our emails that you were that you were going to do an article about that. And I really am looking forward to this one because I'm a I'm a, a student of the early church or, or trying to be, and it's very that how they interacted is very fascinating to me. How they interacted with the state, and I'm really looking forward to this. And I will have you back on the show to talk about that too because. It, it it really is key to what we're doing with the bad Roman. And I'm, and I'm looking forward to that. Really looking forward to that. I'm really excited about it. So is there anything else you want to want to say before I let you go and let you get out of here and let you get back to your family? No, nothing else. Uh, nothing too exciting. <laughs> well, man, I appreciate it. And I really appreciate your time and, and taking the time to come on and, and talk about these articles. I, we didn't get to touch on everything. We spent like the first half hour <laughs> kind of ranting and raving about different things, which is it's cool. I mean, I like the conversation. The conversation's always fun. But um, if y'all have not read his articles at thebadroman.com, go check them out. If you're a fan of The Lord of the Rings, you're going to enjoy them. If you don't know anything about The Lord of the Rings, like me, you're still going to find them interesting. That, Like I said, the the not knowing anything about it, but reading the articles, they're very interesting to me. And appreciate it. I really, I really like how you put it all together and I'm looking forward to the Anabaptist article. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for joining us this week on the bad Roman podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show wherever you find your podcasts to never miss an episode. And while you're at it, if you like what you heard, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, it really helps people find us. 100% of donations are given to local charities in Memphis, Tennessee. To learn more about The Bad Roman Project and to find show notes, please visit thebadroman.com. Thank you.